this episode of File Underwater, like every single episode of File Underwater, from here until the end of the goddamn universe, is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com forward slash TV. Thank you. My name is Cole Ross. You're listening to File Underwater, an REM podcast. Yeah. And this week we are talking about Chronic Town, which is REM's uh, debut EP under kind of a major label. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that we want to get to biographically before we dive into talking about the music. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as, as always, you know, for those who don't know, uh, this is the show where we talk about uh, REM kind of holistically, so album by album, but also uh, what's going on in their careers, what's happening with their live shows and the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't listened to the last episode, we kind of set up the major players and talked about the formation of the band. Um, now kind of hitting the ground running. Uh, at this time, so REM, uh, they've kind of established, they put out their their small little tape that they used to get shows, and they were getting shows with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were touring a lot. Um, yeah. And uh, just kind of uh, regional, um, you know, up to New York. Regional and coastal tours. Yeah, um, there's a there's an amazing story from around this time. It was between Chronic Town and, and Murmur, uh, where they played for five people in a bar, um, and those people were out of their mind on mescaline, and they said, "Hey, there are more of you than there are of us. So why don't we go get some Greek with the money from the show?" Yeah. <laughs> so there's a there's another thing too, another show right around here where they um they didn't have uh, they didn't get paid like the bartender couldn't pay them. Uh, for the show, but he let them stay there mm-hmm. for the night as kind of payment. Uh, and then they were, so they were locked in a bar overnight and they just drank like all of the bar's beer, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and then just like took off in the morning. Uh, so oh, like, gosh. I can't pay you, but I'll lock you in this, in this, in this candy factory, <laughs> yeah, in, the, in this beer cave. Yeah. For the, it, it's pretty great. Like, you know, and just, uh, that, that tour in life Yeah. yeah. Uh, at this point, uh, you know, uh, putting all their amps in in uh, in Jefferson Holt's car, <laughs> and uh, and just kind of going from place to place. Yeah, uh, not really having a place to live. Like they didn't spend enough time in Athens to really warrant having an apartment. So they would like re- <laughs> they would get back, uh, not be able to pay rent, and then go tour to support that until they decided, yeah, we're just going to live on the road. Kind of going out yeah. to these going out to these places where we're not like there's not going to be a warm reception initially. You know, kind of going and doing that Blues Brothers show where they're playing rawhide as people huck bottles at the uh, at the, at yeah, the chicken, chicken wire. wire. Yeah, yeah. But um, but kind of just really going out and just kind of like taking their knocks and slowly building audiences in places that otherwise would not <laughs> would not brook this really weird kind of maybe new wave, a little bit punk, but something completely completely different um, it's, than it's than when them- play. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it's them. Uh, sorry, yeah, yeah, you. Oh no, I just uh, I just a uh, vocal tick. Um, they it's it's them making because they are at this point they're still playing like a perfect drunk living room band. Yeah, like literally perfect, and that translating to something that's going to play uh, in club like clubs outside of you know this kind of drunk like a college town mm-hmm. uh, is is tricky. Yeah. You know, that that took some time to transition. Like it, not all these shows were a disaster. Right. Like we're making it sound like you know you don't. You don't make a living playing for five people night after night after night. So there were right, very popular yeah. shows. Yeah. But it's a really hit and miss. Yeah. Uh, at this time. Um, it, it should also be said, you know, they're, they're they're touring around the South. And this is in the early 80s, um, specifically after um, Southern Rock as a as a thing just completely imploded. Um, like all yeah. you know, the, the the major record labels behind Southern Rock, you know that that put that forward, just folded under their own weight. But there was still the demand for that kind of thing, and those are the places that they were going into. 
like the weirdly, you know, I never don't think about it, but like they are a southern rock band. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the like the south is very much a, a part of these dudes. Mm-hmm. And it was not super fashionable. Right. Um, so the time uh, Michael Sipe was still kind of doing his art school fuckery stuff with this band called uh, Tans Plagen, Hans Plagen, <laughs> Hans Plagen. Uh, a, uh, a a charm and noise band. Uh, uh, I, I I listened to this. I expected not to not to like it. It's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I haven't checked out any Tons Blogging. I'll, yeah. I'll make sure to put some in the notes. But I I missed uh, Tons Blogging. Yeah, uh, it's it's like it, I forget. Is, is it like Tons Blogging is German for dance fever or something like okay. that? Um, it is it is incredibly uh, kind of eerie sounding. It, you you might you might not like it because it's a little bit droney. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I just, it, it is, it is ambient in a way that I find very pleasing. It is not as like abrasive and in your face as you would expect from something called a German noise rock band. Yeah. German noise band doesn't, you know, the, <laughs> the three most beautiful, the four most beautiful syllables in the yeah. English language. Um, I, I just, I was, I was pleasantly surprised and I'm, you know, this may end up like making its way into a YouTube mix that I, that I listened to. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew he was kind of uh, kind of dilettanting around with other bands because, as we mentioned in the last one, he was the last person to kind of quit yeah. uh, school too. So he was still in school at this point, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, would take time off to tour, but you know, and they did a lot of like when you say tour, um, it wasn't like later where it's like we're gonna be gone for eighteen months. Like mm-hmm. a lot of these things were like weekend tours. Yeah, like they would take Friday off, go you know Friday through Monday, mm-hmm. things like that, and then like go to like North Carolina, like like, yeah, like, like early yeah. on, like they would go up to Raleigh. Yeah, exactly. And that, that was kind of kind of the big thing. Um, Bill Berry, uh, who was at this point still drumming for Love Tractor, eventually got out, uh, yeah. got out at this point because R.E.M. was a more serious band and mm-hmm. decided he wanted to commit to that. And it yeah. turned out to be the right choice. Yeah. Bill Berry, like his whole thing was he wanted to be an entertainment lawyer. Like he was mm-hmm. he, he was in Athens studying studying law with with an eye toward media. And like he really only committed to R.E.M. once it once it became clear that it was going to be um, just as lucrative you know, or as stable and dependable uh, of an income as that. So like both, both Stipe and Barry were, um, you know, were, 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 were a little bit of a holdout on this, even though mm-hmm. Barry was very committed because he knew that he was giving up something that would have been, um, you know, just incredibly, incredibly stable from a, like a, from yeah. like a grown up standpoint. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, did, did your book talk about the men's club at all? no no that's the thing with us drawing from different sources is that yeah. like some of the stuff is you know not everything's going to cover everything yeah and some of the stuff only comes out later too mm-hmm. i think we're like oh like they decided to talk about it in this interview and stuff so i don't i, I was stalling because i don't actually know what this note means yeah because uh, neither neither of my books mentioned it yeah like they like they all got involved with this with this thing in the athens scene called the men's club which was this cartoon parody of like gentlemen's club kind of thing like they would get together drink tremendous amounts of 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 liquor and smoke cigars and just kind of engage in this kind of like cartoonishly old-fashioned like uh, again misogyny kind of thing like they wanted they wanted to have like one woman who would be there to like serve them but they it got awkward because the only people who would come were their friends and they weren't comfortable with that like it was a very a very strange thing that I don't know. I'm not putting them on blast for it, but like, it does not seem like them at all to do that. REM's sense of humor is really hard to like pick out. Yeah. Sometimes, um, like again, not to not to totally let them off the hook for this like terrible idea. Yeah. Um, that they you know, and I don't think this was something that they, they came up with, but something they were involved with. Like it's a, it's a terrible idea, and you know, you shouldn't have a, a serving girl in a club full of men smoking cigars. Yeah. Um, but the uh, they're kind of like what they think would be kind of funny. They follow a lot of their instincts. Mm-hmm. With stuff like that, and some of the the humor that they have is is that kind. Of, like one of the the bands that Peter Buck formed uh, after REM is just named Richard M. Nixon, <laughs> and you can kind of imagine him thinking about it just like, oh, just I thought it was kind of funny, you know. And that's what yeah. he says in interviews. And you can imagine him with this too, with them just being like, oh, I thought it was kind of funny if we'd go here and, you know, uh, just kind of smoke cigars and have this like old timey experience. Yeah, you know, just kind of thinking it was kind of weird and and and, and humorous. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, pretty, pretty bizarre. Um, and, and not mentioned in, in my books, yeah. uh, which is interesting because a lot of their friends are quoted in the, in the oral history book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if it was the kind of thing where they, uh, you know, just didn't talk about it because it was kind of, kind of ugly. Yeah. You know? the, the, the sense that I, that I got from the book that I read was just, it was a place where they solidified a lot of their connections, um, yeah. kind of, kind of in the region. Um, yeah, so we talked last episode about the about the Hibtone uh, disaster, like the, just the yeah. way that that uh, kind of shook out. 
But, you know, at the time and when they were thinking, hey, you know, if we're going to put put together an album to sell, we want to make sure that we enter into a relationship that will be beneficial for us. Like we don't want to just fall ass backwards into another bad thing. And, you know, at at the time, our IRS records was a a huge player for this particular kind of band. Um, Oh, yeah. They They go-go's and uh, the Buzzcocks and Wall of Voodoo. Yeah. And, and, and like basically, uh, all these bands that were just uh, bankrolled by the police's uh, huge success. <laughs> the band, the police. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, and it's because of they're they're related, you yeah. know. So like the the people who who ran uh, IRS, uh, there's these things with like the Copeland brothers. <laughs> there's like FBI records, IRS records, and then uh, Stuart Copeland, <laughs> yeah. and like all these Copeland like things that are kind of together. And the way that I read it was the um, the Copeland. The the the, the, the Copeland. Copeland cartel, <laughs> the Copeland cartel that was involved. Uh, it was actually a trade where uh, he he really wanted REM on on IRS mm-hmm. and uh, kind of made a trade because one of his friends didn't want to manage uh, a group called the Bangs, mm. who turned to the Bengals, and I was like, listen, I'll take the Bangs off your hands if you sign REM. <laughs> and then like that band turned out to be the Bengals, which were huge. Yeah, and REM, which were huge, because like everything IRS touched in this point kind of turned to gold you know right um they were they were an independent label uh that was just very uh you know very very successful and very kind of uh prescient you know Mm -hmm. kind of new had had their finger on the pulse of what was gonna gonna turn out to be great yeah but rem wanted to be on irs it seemed like it would would be a good home to them it seemed like a a label that would understand what they were trying to do um and irs wanted them um yes they had oh good well, there's a little bit where there's the guy who wanted to make. Um, is this the Boberg, the guy who wanted who had his uh, Dash Hopes? No, thing no. Who was kind uh, of courting da- da- them? Dash Hopes was a, uh, a different thing. Boberg was kind of an early advocate for the band at at uh, okay. IRS, who went to a kind of a, a one of those disaster shows in New Orleans um, in uh, in March of '82, and like basically offered them terms before they even really before he even had permission to do it. <laughs> yeah, but like he was going out on a limb, understanding like, hey, these are you know, we're, <laughs> ask uh, for forgiveness rather than permission kind of thing uh we should we should we should probably talk about dash hopes a little bit i didn't get a a real sense like it was well, it was nothing, a little bit nothing like happened a, with it right it like was, it was it was a weird non-starter like this guy who another guy similar to hib who came and tried to uh, kind of start a record label um who kind of I, I get the idea that there was like a vocal agreement or something like that like a verbal agreement mm-hmm. with him before irs came along because uh the the EP Chronic Town is listed as uh, lists him as former producer, mm. and it has uh, like Dashed Hopes is written on there mm. somewhere as like a, as a and it just says like former producer. So they were yeah. going to work with this guy and didn't. Yeah. Um. But he had his fingers in the pie before our IRS kind of came and you know probably saved it right. Like yeah. if, if you know we nobody knows who Dashed Hopes is now. Right. Uh, but IRS is still has kind of cachet yeah. now. And, and, like even outside of REM, people have heard of IRS records. Right. It's a it's it's a little strange because with both Hibtone and with Dash Hopes, like these were small little boutique, almost vanity labels that were popping up, led by musicians who just wanted to sign their friends and help distribute them, but like with no real sense of like you, you just showbiz acumen, which that on its own can be you know just incredibly terrible. Like aha, we're gonna get out there. Like anytime business gets involved in this stuff, I, I have a sense to shy away from it. But <laughs> having IRS on your side knowing how to like team you up with people who are going to help you make really good stuff and get it, get in front of people. That was what REM needed not to like yeah. be yoked to a friend who uh, come maybe unintentionally, or at least uh, w- uh, under, under the benefit of a doubt um, pens, this disastrous contract for them, you know, like IRS is what they needed and dash hopes was not the, uh, the, what I end up getting from it, uh, is that the, uh, uh, these, these other, these labels, these smaller lobes labels were not like necessarily musicians who wanted to sign their friends, but were more like venture capitalist, mm. like kind of people came in who wanted to like, Hey, I want to do this thing. Like I want to sign this thing or just kind of trying to, trying to find something to kind of hitch their wagon to or to kind of grow with, mm. you know, and it, and it kind of didn't work out. And that is also something that, you know, REM is not going to respond to right? as dudes, you know, like that's not for them. I feel yeah. like like they're not gonna you know that's not genuine yeah 
enough for them to, to really respond to. So, yeah. And, and when, so I want to make a note here when we talk about, Hey, that, that is not going to fly with REM or REM. Like when we speak about them as an entity, that is very much how they were acting. Like yes. they, they would close ranks, circle the wagons whenever anything happened and then present as a unified front. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. They bought the rights to those single songs and they signed um, with IRS in 1982. And the, so that was in May. And then like they turned right around and in August, they polished up these initial recordings that they did at drive-in and turned it into chronic town. Well, these were not the initial, they recorded it again. Yes. Um, they, yeah, they, they, so they, this is a separate session and um, God, I, why is the name of the, uh, the producer? Uh, not, not Jefferson Holt, but um, uh, Easter. Uh, Easter. Uh, Mitch Easter had to court them for this because a lot of different um, recorded like producers were also trying to get in touch with them. Mm -hmm. So he had to be like, listen, like, you know, go with me again. Like I, we went through the first thing and, you know, they weren't necessarily happy with like that, that hip tone mix that came out. Mm -hmm. And again, they weren't totally sure where the blame laid mm -hmm. for that. Um, you know, it was sent off to master by Hib. Um, and the, uh, but he, he really pushed like, Hey, let me do this EP as well. Yeah. Um, and they ended up doing it uh, in part because they liked him, but also because it was cheap. Mm -hmm. Um, it was like $250 a day yeah. to uh, record. And those days would be all day and all night, yeah. you know, like you just kind of more or less bought the garage for 72 hours and they did it in like two sessions. They did like a three day and then came back and polished them off in, in I think February, yeah. uh, before prior to the release. Something, so. some, something that kind of happened with, with these early sessions was they would, they would book more time than they thought they, you know, than they ultimately ended up needing. And they would decide, hey, let us kind of just record some of these things that we normally only play live because Peter Buck very early on was like, hey, we need to archive. So we need to archive yeah. this. Even if it's not going to go on the go on the album, we've already paid for the time. So let's just get it down. Yeah. And they, sometimes they would know that it would not go on the album. You yeah. know, they would they would just kind of make that as a game day decision. Um, some of that stuff has never seen the light of day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can you can find uh, uh, recordings of a lot of the stuff and it'll be in the notes. Some of the stuff you can't. Like there are songs like there's a song from this session called Jazz Lips uh, <laughs> yeah. that I saw a reference to, <laughs> which uh, it was so embarrassing that uh, it, it is uh, supposed that they burned it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they, they got rid of that, which is Michael Stipe reading a, a, a erotic story from a men's magazine over like tape loops and stuff. It sounds like a fucking nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, but they, some of the stuff just never made it, but they were really trying to get things down. And like, it's a band where, uh, other than some of those really, really early songs, most of their stuff, you know, there's not like a studio version of body count, but right. there's a lot of that stuff did end up on, they ended up using every part of the, the cow, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, chronic town. Yeah. Um, kind of the, uh, so they, you know, they were, uh, they had been touring these songs. They wrote them. They, uh, uh, kind of tested them out. A lot of the stuff for murmur was written by this point as well. Like the live shows will have some kind of murmur uh previews yeah there's a lot of overlap between yeah. the two um yeah. it is ridiculous how how quickly they solidified into into what they what they otherwise would be later on yeah um, i think chronic town is is pretty much perfect it's um, really vital like yeah. it, it really sounds like essential ram yeah. um i can i can take uh i can kind of take or leave a good amount of stumble yeah other than that i think it is it is every other song on it is quintessential rem yeah. i think i think stumble is is more made for me than it is for you yeah just in just I, I, in terms of in terms of pace pace yeah. and variety <laughs> yeah variety yeah. is the big one for me with that song yeah um we'll we'll, we'll get into it song by song but yeah. it, you, to, your, to your point like it is like this doesn't sound like a band that is embryonic right you know this sounds like rem like this <laughs> is them you know kind of developed and arrived on three days in a garage studio <laughs> and, and those live sets, you uh -huh. know, is what they had before that. It's really crazy. And it, it really makes me think that like, you know, another kind of real secret instrumental element of their success is Mitch Easter mm -hmm. who took that, you know, this drunken party band <laughs> and like got this very, you know, it, this is the band that can do both. Like I yeah. want to listen to this while drinking coffee in the morning as well yeah. as, the, you know, dance to it in a, in a house party. This, the, this ridiculously pristine recording 
Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, just that the, there are a couple of kind of weird recording tricks, you know, at any anytime you read about the production of an album, you talk about like, oh, we dropped a bunch of stuff down the stairs and we recorded that and looped yeah. it backwards. Like, just and real. You'll, you'll never like, hear it. But yeah, they're just stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, just like real, real cute kind of producer tricks. But like the, a lot of decisions about who R.E.M. decided they wanted to be are present here. So you have the jangle, you have, you know, you, <laughs> you have everybody kind of trying to be a little bit lower in the mix than everybody else. It feels like yeah. a little like bit. A race to the bottom as far as you know what what happens there which is great like yeah. ends up making kind of a really cohesive whole um really propulsive bass really propulsive rhythm section yeah um, with everything this is also where those you know this is where michael stipe was singing in the uh the stairwell mm-hmm. you know kind of away from the band that's kind of a thing he was infamous for um <laughs> that he uh, uh stopped doing eventually you know yeah. or it would kind of vary but he would kind of sing away from the rest of the band they recorded uh, parts of it outside So there are like crickets that are not inaudible in the mix, but there were like, you know, they would go like, Hey, the bugs are making a lot of noise. What happens if we record this outside? Yeah. You know, at night, which is fucking awesome. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I think that, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, the, uh, this, uh, this is where they start their, their kind of side naming conventions, which is something I've always loved. Mm -hmm. Um, so we go by the order that it was, it's on CD, but it's not, uh, this is not dictated. Because uh, right. there's not an A side and a B side, there is a Chronic Town side and Poster Torn, Poster's mm-hmm. Torn side, yeah. and those are both those are both lyrics from uh, from Carnival of Sorts. Uh, yes. Stars. Um, yep. Yeah, and they they also decided like you know the, the the lyrics here are very much REM. Like they they decided, hey, mystery is the way to go with this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's that stuff is is solidified as well. And we say it's uh, when you say it's pristine too. Um, something that REM doesn't get into for a long time is feeling overproduced yep. to me. Um, eventually they will. Uh, there are REM songs on kind of the back half of their career and not even just like the obvious stuff, but even, you know, there are songs on document that are overproduced. Yeah. Um, I think, but this is, uh, the exact right amount of production, Yeah. you know, where it's like, this was tinkered with in kind of a perfect amount. And mm-hmm. I would be, you know, as far as kind of quality of sound goes, mm-hmm. if they, you know, I would be happy with with a career of this yeah you know this and 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 murmur and reckoning mm-hmm. um as kind of a, a quality of sound things yeah um, i get that artists don't do that they have to move on <laughs> but this is kind of like as far as the actual production values uh these three or these uh the ep and the first two albums mm-hmm. are my favorite that they they ever get to yeah. this is peak production for me yeah when i call it pristine i just mean it is a it is an incredibly good representation of these four yes. these four talents uh but yeah. yeah they're like you know there could have been tape hiss and there could have been you know sloppy garage punk production there isn't it is just them up front <laughs> yes um you know but warm you know, not like a digital, you know, it's a very, uh, very warm recording. Yeah. Um, they're, uh, like I said, they were touring these songs live and kind of testing them out. Um, there is a, uh, a live video recording, um, at the Raleigh underground in 1982. That's a professional recording. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was put on TV, yeah. you know, it has a, has a little countdown and, and it keeps uh, showing <laughs> close-ups of the gargoyle from the cover yeah. <laughs> uh, in between songs, which is really weird, yeah. but uh, that will be in the suggested listening. That's really informative, yeah. uh, to listen to, which yeah. is kind of cool. Mm-hmm um yeah and like and they, it, they like they're they're doing the songs like nearly album perfect <laughs> yeah. live but like it doesn't feel lifeless or, or stodgy it's not like they're getting up there and playing to playing to a click track or anything yeah. like it just yeah. feels very 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 representative of, of, of who these dudes were at the time yeah energetic um yeah. a little bit you know faster paced yeah uh but not not entirely so and the uh it's just very cool to see them kind of you know again this confident this out the, the gate and it kind of makes it a little sense like that's something that you know when we talk about some of the artier, artier elements of athens turning against them mm-hmm. uh this is you know probably partly why you yeah. know like this idea of like you know who are these fuckers who you know i, I remember uh i went and saw um john darnielle do a reading from uh wolf and white man yeah um and he it was a q a and a reading and like a interview and matt fraction talked to him and matt fraction was just like oh i've got some questions for you where the fuck do you get off <laughs> uh, we, you know, was the was the first one because like you know Dan Dan, you know John Darnell, which like musically I don't I don't think he's upper echelon, but I think he's a great lyricist. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I like a lot of those. I'm a big Mountain Goats fan. Yeah. I just don't you know, but I, I it doesn't always hit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reading and and I'm I'm started reading uh, Wolf and White Band myself. Oh. Um, it's very good. Yeah, you know, and it's it's seems unfair. 
you know, there's an element of like, this seems unfair. <laughs> like, like, come on, man. Like, you don't like, get, you don't get to have that and this. When Janet Jackson was in Poetic Justice, we weren't like, holy shit, like, <laughs> this is the best actress that we've ever, you know, nobody does that. Like, there's very, very few, yeah. you know, you don't get to just be good at everything. Yeah. And, and, and like that, that, that's a little bit like, like, like a crab mentality kind of thing. And it's, it's a little bit hinged on this idea that there's just a finite amount of talent in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a zero sum kind of thing because it yeah. doesn't take away from. You know, Love Tractor isn't worse because R.E.M. is good. Right. You know, but I could see it's just a very natural psychi- you know, psychology thing to fall into. Yeah. Where it's like you guys are like made this really, really good sounding thing. Like you guys are so confident, you know, <laughs> I'm still going to go. I still want to go, you know, in the in the sheets. I still want to go dance the pylon, but mm-hmm. in the streets, you know, I, I got to listen to Chronic Town, you know, yeah. as a thing. So I can I can kind of see it. So we should talk about the about the album itself um, in specifics. There are five songs on it, and they're they're, they're pretty distinct from each other um, mm-hmm. in, a, in a lot of ways. It opens with a song called uh, called Wolves Lower. Um, we're going to talk about the uh, the original opener that they had, or at least the, uh, the the thing that Wolves Lower took the place of Ages of You, um, kind of as at, at the tail end of this. But Wolves Lower was a late addition. They like went back into the studio to commit this song that they had been working on live. Uh, to tape and it became their first video actually their first yes. official uh first official video um for um, wolves comma lower yes uh, originally the song was just called wolves um but michael site for weird art fuck reason just wanted to have a comma <laughs> uh-huh. in the title uh this is why there are the lower wolves as that uh, as a early rem cover band of uh kind of dumpy old men mm-hmm. um <laughs> so this is this is a favorite of mine oh, uh, this is a this is a really really good song um they originally recorded it much faster than it ended up. Um, that version is available online. That will be in the uh, the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, I the that version sounds ridiculous at the beginning. I think yeah. it kind of sounds okay during the chorus. Yeah. Like when you get to the the part of the song that kind of slows down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it sounds kind of good. Yeah. Uh, fast, but I like this version too. Yeah. Um, this is uh, it, it is ridiculous and like it makes a strong statement when you when you open it up like because it has you know Peter Buck doing this incredibly fast. This incredibly fast pattern again. You yeah, know, he's just doing this, um, you know, open chord kind of thing, uh, play, playing, play, playing a little, little high up on the neck, but like mixing these high fretted strings with with, with open strings. Um, it is a very simple pattern to play, but it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, it sounds it sounds very very impressive and fast. Yeah, um, this is a, the first time, uh, and Michael Stipe will do this kind of continuously. I love it when he does uh, noise mm-hmm. things because it opens with a. <laughs> like he's just making kind of like shh, shh, noises with his mouth. Yeah, uh, I love the way that uh, that sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and this like 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 the the the, cor- the choruses in this, it's, mm-hmm. it's 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 all chorus a little bit. Like the what sounds like a chorus might more accurately be called like a bridge or whatever. But like the mm-hmm. suspicion yourself, suspicion yourself. It sounds like apocalyptic. Like this is a very dark yeah. and brooding song. Yeah, yeah. The the beginning and then it but then it opens up. Like he's mm-hmm. doing that thing that my you know, my favorite pop music does where you contrast mm-hmm. uh really heavily. So that suspicion yourself, don't get caught, is fraught. Mm-hmm. You know, uh things. And then when it opens up into that uh in a corner garden part, mm-hmm. uh significantly, uh, you know, like more more it's it's more major key, it's <laughs> yeah. more uh kind of arcing. And yeah. when the backing vocals come in, it becomes the call and response part. Mm-hmm. The kind of the kind of uh chorus of this. Yeah. Uh, what I consider the chorus, the house and order yeah. uh, part. Um, you know, it just it sound there's like relief. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the song does a really great job of playing with tension and relief where yeah. uh you know you're tense, suspicion yourself, <laughs> you come out of that that house and order, and then that uh you know down there they're rounding a posse to ride part, mm-hmm. which is uh you know, just over one kind of like tense chord. So mm-hmm. it's really about this, this ebb and flow yeah. of, uh, of, of tension. It's like driving through a series of tunnels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like dark, 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 light, dark, 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 dark yeah. light. Um, and um, like, the, and, and with that, uh, with, with the posse to ride line, like that resets it and, yeah. and gets it back into, yep. gets back it back in the into the, the suspicion yourself, uh, section. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is, uh, kind of, Starting the, you know, as much as this is, you know, one of my all time favorite bands, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the one of the criticisms I have of them or one of these songs where I feel like they're like a verse too far, mm-hmm. you know, like that, like, oh, this song repeats one time more than I would need it to. Yeah. And this kind of starts that pattern of they're just being, you know, that suspicion yourself start part happens like five times, yeah, yeah. five or six times. And the um, sometimes there'll just be a space between that, like a very short instrumental break, like tons of very small bridges that are never seen again, mm-hmm. uh, which I really, you know, I like that. Yeah. Um, 
but it ends up making it just kind of, you know, then we just go back to the same, same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, they're kind of weird structurally. And sometimes I think that really works. I think it works here. This is an example of it where I like it. Uh, sometimes I like it less. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's something the song does. But, um, my, when, when that band that I was in, that, uh, that guy I was in, I was talking about the last episode, <laughs> we also did REM one year for that thing. And uh, this was the song I wanted to do from Chronic Town, but, uh, our guitar player couldn't like do it fast enough. Yeah. Uh, so we ended up doing Boxcars instead, yeah. uh, which is another song I really love, Yeah. but too. this was the one I, I really wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so gardening at night is a little bit of a, oh, sorry. I'm going to take that back because we should talk about that video too. Oh yeah. We are. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll take us on that. Okay. And then also, um, this is like, as we mentioned, this is the first video, uh, they had, um, REM videos really vary in quality. They really uh, there's, do. <laughs> there's a lot of that, you know, again, that Michael Stipe, cause Michael Stipe is kind of responsible for the visual aspect of the band. Right. So like album covers, things like that, that's him. And, uh, a lot of these videos are really play into that. Like the worst of, you know, film student cliches of like, what if there was some stock footage? <laughs> uh, this isn't that, but like, I would, I feel like fully a third of the videos are just that. Right. Uh, and kind of Garbo. Um, this one is actually them playing, uh, but that's really kind of it. Yeah. It's a lot of yeah. kind of extreme close-ups either on faces or instruments. Yeah. Um, and again, it has that kind of arty without being that visually interesting. Yeah. It's like they're kind of feel to it. They're, they're playing against a black background and they're kind of lit in this, in this real kind of like noir kind of way. It's color. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it, yeah. it's a very stark shadow on them. Um, this is also uh, Michael Stipe really famously, uh, he lip synced this video and then swore it off for a number of years. Yeah. Uh, Cause it just, you know, just felt weird. So he would mm -hmm. either sing live or not sing in the song mm -hmm. and not be shown singing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's a, it's a strange video. They, they, they generally don't like it. Just like they generally don't like most of the things they've done, <laughs> but it was like, yeah. it was fired off. Like they, they were in LA and they had a venue and they're like, yeah, why don't we just film something so we can have it? Um, yeah. again, kind of with that ethos of, well, maybe we can send this around. This will, this will open up some doors for us. Yeah. yeah. It's cool for them to have an, you know, have an official video, mm -hmm. even if it was not particularly that interesting. And to be, it should be noted, uh, this is a video in 1982, you know, it's not like it was cheap or possible or easy to do, you know, good videos Yeah. at this time. Like, I mean, of course <laughs> it's possible, but there aren't a lot of, yeah. you know, really strong music videos from this yeah. era. This is a narrative, but at the very least it's tasteful. Yeah. You know, like it is just, it's just understated. It's like, Hey, here's the band and we're going to do some crossfades and extreme close-ups. It's, you know, it's dramatic, just like the song is just, just have it here. It's yours. Take it. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that this, uh, that, uh, Wolves Lore does, you know, it's, so it's first video first kind of established the song. It's also establishing this lyrical thing where the lyrics don't have a distinct meaning right. to them. There aren't very many words mm -hmm. to this. So when we talk about that tone and tunnel thing, if people are listening to this and they're like, why didn't you talk about the words of the song? Oh yeah. Um, that's why it's because <laughs> it doesn't, it's literally just, you know, suspicion yourself house in order. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah. you know it, and and house in order doesn't mean anything like it no, is but just it's such a good turn of phrase oh it is <laughs> like it, it, it's I, I really really like that as like a a, a turn of phrase but yeah. that's that's what it is yeah and some of the other songs on this ep have more kind of lyrics that are more open to interpretation mm -hmm. so when people talk about rem's lyrics as being uh kind of obtuse one of the things they're talking about is this idea that sometimes there's just not enough there even to extrapolate from right you know um, yeah, yeah. Like just there, there's very little to like talk about in the text of the lyrics aside from a feeling of, of, of dread. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then the, the lyrics will, po will back that up, but it's really just, you know, Michael Stipe, like really kind of not famously, but has been known to refer to his, his thing as like a vocal instrument, yeah. you know, like he thinks of it as an instrument. And this is a song where that's very much on the case. Yeah. The next song, a uh, guarding a night less so this is, has a little bit more kind of lyrics to it that is open to more interpretation. Yeah. Uh, this is Michael Stipe doing something that he would do a lot kind of in the, in the, in I think like the early Warner days, um, just kind of singing in an upper register very softly. Um, yeah. and this is, there's a lot of text, uh, to these lyrics and a lot of the instrumentals kind of take a take a back seat. Like Peter Buck's guitar is not is not out in front in this one. It is there mostly just to provide texture. Mm. Yeah, um, this is a little bit. Uh, we we talked about this before. I think for me and for you, this is a little bit of a snoozer. Mm -hmm. You know, like this is a little bit less interesting. Like I don't think Gardening at Night is a bad song. Right. Um, I think that it is is pretty good. Part of it is I'm a little sick of it. It kind of ends up being the representative song. Yeah. From uh, from this album. 
Um, and it was also, uh, it's kind of interesting. There's an alternative mix to it that's on uh, Eponymous, which is their greatest hits uh, album that came out with more strident vocals. It sounds a little bit more like how he sings Murmur. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but uh, the the producer convinced him to do this kind of falsetto mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing up here. And uh, yeah. the strident vocal version is a little bit stronger too. Mm-hmm. But the song itself just doesn't have a lot for me to grab on melodically. Yeah. Um, the, like you know, the, uh, the, 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 chorus is very, is, is very simple. Like dun, 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 dun. they like, do a lot of those like two chord, you know, I'm up here now I'm down here, just kind of back and forth. Yeah. Choruses. And again, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't for me. Yeah. It's a, uh, it, it, I mean, I'm not surprised to hear that this is kind of indicative, like something that people who are trying to reach back to this era and pull something forward saying like, Hey, here's REM as they were, you know, way, way, way back when, because this sounds more like the, the, the REM that got popular in the nineties to me. Yeah. You know, and so like if somebody was looking for something to grab onto when they got into it in kind of the more adult contemporary kind of phase, this like the the seeds are here, you know, and that is that is a bad pun because this is a song about gardening at night, um, possibly or about his relationship with his dad. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Or or his sister, like his sister is, uh, you know, a common touchstone and stuff. Uh, I've heard in that stories from the songs thing. uh, Peter Buck talks about this old guy who would act who he would go like to the convenience store to buy a beer Mm -hmm. at night. And there was a guy in a suit who would do his gardening like every off work at night. Yeah. And uh, and gave the phrase to to Michael Seip who wrote this. Yeah. Um, It's not without pleasure. Like there are things that I, uh, you know, the delivery, like when the they said it couldn't be arranged, like at the end of the the kind of post chorus Mm -hmm. or uh, bridge kind of part. I'm really into that, that line delivery. Um, and also the blandness of that, that line, like the kind of officialness, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, you know, as opposed to just being denied, like they, it cannot be arranged. Yeah. Um, I like that a lot. Uh, there's a real awkward phrasing of penitence, uh, <laughs> which I like. Yeah. Um, there's some things to like about this song. Mm-hmm. So like, this is like a B for me and it, it only suffers in comparison to everything else kind of on the record. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, let's get to Carnival of Sorts. This is the high mark for me on this. I like Wolves Lower a lot, but Carnival of Sorts or Boxcars, um, uh, I, I kind of forgot how how amazing this is. This is yeah. This is um, this is like I said. This is the one that that we covered on there. One thing I want to do, I think it would be kind of fun for this show, is to kind of do like our favorites and least favorites. Yeah, yeah. On each record, and uh, so I think Wolves Lower is my favorite on this record. Mm-hmm. Still, this is a a close contender though. Yeah. Um, I love this song. Uh. So it starts off with this Casio uh, circus <laughs> sound. It, it, it's Buffo's theme on a, on a $30 department store Casio keyboard, yep. uh, literally, uh, until it becomes, you know, a classic REM train song. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> classic REM train song. But, <laughs> like, but, but like there, there, there's even more of a transition from that because it's got the, it's got the Casio circus music and then you have this, this drum roll that goes into it. Um, and, uh, like, like, like the bass playing along very insistently it, 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 it zigs and then it immediately zags into this opening chord that has, you know, like just REM written all over it. Like this feels like the REM song to me for like the stuff that I really, really enjoy that they do. It's it's really uh, the bass is super like kinetic and funky too. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's all over the place. You know, it, it's really all over mm-hmm. uh, in, in a really really cool way. Um, and this song is one another one where I feel like that kind of repetition is right. Yes. Um, this song does a lot. Goes through its kind of two parts a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, there just aren't a lot of words to it. Right. Um, you know, there's a there's a feeling, there's kind of a theme to the words themselves, mm-hmm. um, but it is just going to kind of go through those parts over and over. And there's a hint of that the party band, mm-hmm. you know that that's that's them where this is this kind of propulsive dance song, and uh, that just kind of keeps going so fast because it knows if it stops it'll fall apart. <laughs> kind of feeling. Yeah, but like it's it slows down like the, the you know the chorus the gentlemen don't get caught and then the yeah. and then the call and response you know, again, kind of yeah. evolving this thing you know, that we'd also see in Wolves, Wolves Lower. Um, I, don't, I don't know, like just I think that the rhythm section, you, you really nailed it. Like the rhythm section on this is is what is is what is uh, likable about it to me. Yeah. And, you know, really, really driving it forward. And again, there's kind of a, a sense of foreboding. You know, this is kind of a dark EP, um, you know, where you have this uh, this kind of night carnival. Mm hmm. 
feel to the, the song, you know, this, these ideas of this, uh, this, this circus, you know, this carnival, uh, you know, it's not quite a carnival and there's, there's a secret, you know, there's secret stigmas to it, you know, um, you, you, you said, uh, you said night carnival. I immediately pictured a bottle of cotton candy schnapps called night carnival. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. It's really good. That's a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> selling um, some juggalos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, um, again and again, those uh, those turns of phrases were that are just kind of. Uh, he doesn't deliver them in a way uh, similar to like that couldn't be arranged. He will take these formal lines and deliver them informally. So like the gentleman at the beginning of the chorus is so good. Mm-hmm. You know, like addressing, like we talked about that in the uh, last episode of Try This, where we talked about uh, Sunset Rubdown. Yeah. But yeah. that kind of like epistolary style, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm I'm addressing like like singing like you're at a podium, you know, singing yeah. at your like you're you're in different <laughs> situations other than just, you know, writing a bland love song to somebody named you. Yeah. You know, which is how <laughs> most songs work. Right. Um, I really respond to that. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, and again, we get that we get that awesome just uh, poetry, you know, nonsense in a single line, chronic town, poster torn reaping wheel. Like, yeah, I don't reaping. know what a reaping wheel, but I, I'm down for it. It's from it's from the night carnival, man. Oh, yeah. Like, you can watch out for the night carnival where they put you on the reaping wheel. Um, you know, and then, you know, again, the one I love this song. The one thing I would say is that, like, there's a part where it definitely feels like it should have ended and they yeah, go into another yeah. person chorus. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't hurt it. It just because it's such a good song, but it's just like this is the editor and me wants to take it out. Yeah. If you're just going to literally do the same thing four times instead of three. It's, it's exacerbated uh, in live performances, I think where they may yeah. add more, more repetitions to it, which it makes sense. If I was there, I'd want this to go on forever because it is incredibly danceable, you know, yeah. but, it, but it just, uh, in, in an album context, I, it, it, uh, it, it carries too much of that into it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, next up is a million. Uh, this is, I think this is a really underrated song on this album. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, uh, the one that doesn't get called out a lot. Um, you know, the, the first three, uh, you know, wolves lower is the first song on it, only video kernel of, of sorts. Uh, when they were touring at this time, that was their closer. Mm-hmm. They close kind of uh, last encore with it. Um, and then gardening at night was so foundational to kind of, uh, the AM rock, you know, side of them that would come up yeah. and then stumble has all the kind of weird experimentation that they eventually eschewed up until like more or less up. Yeah. Um, but a million is kind of the most I feel like standard yes uh, REM song on here. They're like this sounds like a pretty uh, pretty standard pop song, mm-hmm. um, but I really love it anyway. Yeah, like I think it is really really catchy and uh, uh, very cool. Yeah, um, I like the chorus in this a lot because you can hear Stipe pushing himself to the edge. Like it sounds mm-hmm. like he's tearing up his throat on the, I could live a million <laughs> as, yeah. as he goes. Like it's just a little bit pitchy, but it works very well, especially as he does those repetitions up to like, I could live a million, a million, what like a million, oh, a million years. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Kind of running up to the, the full release. Yeah. Other thing. It's also, <laughs> I think the song is about a lich. So that's the other reason why I like it. Like if you read, if you read the lyrics to this, I don't think there's another interpretation really <laughs> secluded in a marker stone, not only deadlier, but smarter too. Yeah. I could see yeah. that. Yeah. All along the tour to secrets in the ruins, you know, <laughs> secrets in the, the tomb, uh, pretty, you know, and you, you live a million years, you're immortal. Yeah. Pretty sure it's about a lich. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Like <laughs> I like the lich interpretation. It's also like incredibly, you know, like the content in this is leaning into this stereotypically dark Southern Gothic kind of thing. Oh, totally. Uh, like on, on a is... lot of it. And I'm down for it. Yeah. Yeah. Even like the, the way that the kind of softness of the uh, consonant sounds in tomb and ruin, mm-hmm. like the ruin is, is really underpronounced in a way I really like uh, <laughs> in the song. And this, again, this, uh, unlike a lot of other, uh, REM songs, this does not have a thousand parts, right? This goes, uh, verse chorus, this little post chorus, uh, thing, you know, yeah. with, uh, all along, all along the tomb, mm-hmm. but really just, it's three parts and really direct. Yeah. Something that lends to this being a little bit more traditional sounding is that Peter Buck is playing chords like yeah. his, his his M.O. on pretty much every other song is to just endlessly arpeggiate and you yeah. know, kind of just be either be texture or be like this pseudo lead out in front. Like for the verses in this, he is like playing these these truncated muted chords and only goes into the arpeggiations and the bridges and the chorus. And that yeah. is just not something that he does. Yeah. So when he does it, it sounds, it's, you know, very noteworthy. Yeah. Like kind of pops out and, uh, in a way, you know, again, that I really appreciate, mm-hmm. um, this would have been a side. This is the second, uh, second side, I believe. Yeah. Uh, the I second side song. led by, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. With carnival starts actually. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this, uh, 
so yeah, this is this again kind of underrated, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, we're into a million. Um, and then it closes uh, with Stumble, mm-hmm. which I have, I have mixed feelings about. Like I like it, but you know, because we were not going to get to a song I don't like for a long time. Right, right. But I you know like slightly less. Um, mm-hmm. And Stumble is definitely the weirdest song on the record. Yeah, um, I'm down for that. Um, I'm down for that experimentation because they, it, you know, it, it is it is a little bit repetitious, but they have something really good to fall back to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like they, they will, they, they will do something incredibly weird and then, and then just kind of fall back to the ball and chain chorus. <laughs> yeah. The ball and chain and even this, the will stumble part, which is mm-hmm. really kind of catchy and, and, and bedrocky. Yeah. And you know, the, this is a real drum, like it's pretty rare that drums are a highlight mm-hmm. in a song, but I think that's the case here. Yeah. Um, this kind of, uh, wheel and cog kind of bass with this, you know, this, yeah, there's this kind yeah. of. That may sound like a reggae, reggaeton song or something <laughs> like that. It's, it's, it's mostly just like this kind of real standard drums that every once in a while, Bill Bear, Bear goes, check out my neck. It's very ahead of its time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you can't put that freak on a leash when it comes to Bill Berry. <laughs> He's just got to let him free. Um, but uh it's it, it's very you know the very drum like there's lots of like drum flourishes mm-hmm. uh, in the verses of this. There's not the, quite a solo, even though there is kind of a middle part that kind of functions as a drum solo. Yeah, <laughs> which is really weird for for REM, but um, yeah. it's a uh, mostly goes back and forth between these kind of two two parts that are both repetitive within themselves. Yeah, you know, just kind of two chord back and forth kind of progressions. Yeah. And then there's this breakdown um, kind of uh, as we get into the last third of the song, which is just them doing tape loop kind of things and having uh, Michael Stipe. Uh, I don't know what he's reading here. I think he's I don't know if he's reading anything. I think he's just making kind of making up stuff that hmm. making up some beat poetry. Th- this is where the song loses me if, if as a thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that if it, you know, the kind of backward backward tape loop thing like that was uh, Mitch Easter's deal like he really liked that stuff Mm -hmm. and the stories of them recording in the studio at this point were like them being it being kind of novel for them to be doing it so like peter buck would walk up and be like what's this you know what's this thing do you know kind of learning about this stuff Mm -hmm. um like apocryphally uh uh, michael say talks about it and he talks about how uh for like the first year and a half of the band he didn't know the difference between a guitar and a bass guitar (laughs) uh you know like he just like he didn't really pay attention to this stuff so um michael peter buck I know P, uh, Michael Stipe. Okay. <laughs> did, I, did I say Michael Stipe? Or did I say yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I was I, I was looking I was looking up what that uh, what, what the reading is from. So oh, gotcha. <laughs> I apologize. That's yeah. okay. Um, the uh, so like they were learning, you know, about yeah. the stuff and, and just kind of learning, like oh, like tape loops are a thing. You can make these kind of uh, you know like kind of uh, strawberry fields forever kind of backward sounding yeah like here, noise things. Here, here's how you accomplish that. Isn't that a, isn't that a nifty thing? We could probably find a place for it. Throw it at. Yeah. And, and what they, the way they ended up throwing it in was to use it as this kind of like weird little middle bridge mm-hmm. for this otherwise kind of, you know, uh, not standard, but like less, you know, uh, kind of, kind of, it's not revolution number nine. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's not, it's not that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they do this, this middle kind of roundabout hipster, you know, roundabout midnight hipster town part yeah. uh, that goes on. And I do like the one thing I do like is when it does come out of it, the sense of relief when you go back into the chord progression and go back into the regular song is like yeah, great. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's a great moment mm-hmm. on this album. Yeah. It's, it's something also that sticks out to me about this is this is, this is the only thing that I can't see being produced live. All the, the other songs, mm. I could see them being really fun to watch um, in a, yeah. in a performance. This is the, like this, this feels like a studio creation to me, which yeah. there's a place for that. And those are fine, but like, it is not what I, what I want to get out of chronic town. <laughs> You know? Yeah, yeah, because it's still they are doing that kind of, you know, they are still a fast, you know, kind of fast <laughs> party band, you know, and uh, it's kind of weird to see. Yeah. Um, so I went to Genius.com, our source for things that are never wrong. Um, and uh, <laughs> this is a citation from a crawl from the South. Uh, this this is a, a, the spoken passage and stumble. This is Marcus Gray saying this uh, would appear to have come from a 1957 issue of Cavalier, a low budget skin magazine. So oh, so it's that men's magazine that had jazz lips. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah. Um, the, uh, don't need that jazz. Don't need that stuff. I couldn't agree yeah. more, Michael. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, it's and the the kind of it's kind of funny because this and it kind of will become a thing uh, on reckoning as well to just read something when you're trying to find a vocal melody. 
Yeah, yeah. You, know, you can't come up with lyrics. You just kind of read something that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, is like a real technique. Like that's something I've used when I've in a band. Yeah. Before uh, I just don't put it on the fucking record, Michael. <laughs> the um. <laughs> but yeah, this, and stumble stumble is good. It's a weird. Like I actually, if the sequencing is not the way that it's released that this is in the middle of the album rather than the end of it mm-hmm. i kind of like it a little bit more yeah yeah as, you know but as, as is like it's the one like for me it's my probably my least favorite song on the album but i mm-hmm. still again that's like makes it like a b yeah um yeah um if, if we're doing if we're doing favorites and least favorites before before we get to the uh the the, the, the outtake here favorite for me is uh carnival of sorts uh least favorite mm-hmm. would be guarding at night yeah yeah for for reasons laid out in that yeah you know. yeah we know yeah just uh just given given pointless awards um there's actually there's actually two outtakes to this and i if i fucked up not sending you this i apologize um have you listened to the um the chronic town version of shaking through no um that's also that was recorded for chronic town hmm. uh, as well that'll end up on murmur yeah um and that's very interesting uh shaking through uh they do it the chorus uh is three descending notes kind of rather than two okay you know like shaking through he kind of holds on shaking mm-hmm. and then goes down to through it becomes more like shaking through like I'm off key and not doing it right, but it becomes yeah, a three, yeah. a three step descent mm-hmm. uh, instead. And it's just kind of raw. Yeah. Uh, so that like could have been, and that's kind of an interesting thing too. And that, you know, did not belong on this, this record <laughs> yeah. um, as a thing. It would have, it's kind of the same point like that. That song always kind of reminds me a little bit of gardening of night. It's that same kind of mm-hmm. uh, thin kind of, you know, the more adult contempo. Yeah. R.E.M. And uh, it didn't need another adult contempo song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, the the one that I have here, though, the one that I did listen to, uh, Ages of You, um, it, it it kind of is fighting a little bit with um, with a million for being kind of a standard pop song construction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could definitely see why they would why they why they ultimately would decide to put uh, Wolves Lower on um, in, in, instead of this, just because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it is Wolves Lower gets more bang for the buck, I think, in terms yeah. of in terms of getting the sound and idea that they want to get um, ages of you. you is, that, go ahead. Do you think that Peter Buck used to say that to girls at parties to get laid? <laughs> what? Like you like the way to get bang for the buck. Oh, <laughs> Like, jeez, <laughs> sorry, I overthought it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, but ages of you, it's a, it's up tempo. Uh, again, it's a, it's a real rhythm, rhythm section, uh, uh, driven song. Um, and not an awful lot of it really sticks out to me. Do you have anything to say in defense of ages of you? I, I like ages of you a lot. Yeah. Like I think it's, I think it's super catchy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've, I've always liked this song. This showed up on uh, Dead Letter Office. Yeah. And uh, what is the other song that is the the same thing, more or less? <laughs> they have <laughs> Ages of You, and then they have uh, another song, and I'll, I'll kind of look it up while I'm, I'm talking here. Yeah. But the um, I like it. I understand why it doesn't fit in the album. Yep. Uh, but I think that if you think of it as, a, as an album ha- having uh, two sides, mm-hmm. each side having a kind of a more standard pop song wouldn't bother me. Yeah. So as like a, as a six song experience, maybe not so much, but as a, uh, you know, two, two, three side sets of songs, mm-hmm. I probably could have done, you yeah. know, could have dug it. It's, it sounds like I'm being dismissive, dismisses, yeah, dismissive of it, but it's because I'm holding it probably unfairly to the standard of Wolves Lower and Carnival of Sorts. Yeah. You know, which is, uh, and, and a million, which is trying to share space with it, yeah. you know, like, like in its own context, listen, listen to by itself. It is, you know, kind of indicative of, of what they, of what they sound like. I can, you know, again, this, the, 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 this is a live thing that was captured in a studio as opposed to, you know, something, something like guarding at night or stumble, which feels like it is mostly a studio construction. Yeah. 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 And I, I just, I also, I mean, part of it is taking it apart. A uh, burning down is the other song okay. that, that more or less has very similar chords. Um, there's another apocryphal story that, uh, Peter Buck tricked Michael Sipe to read it to making lyrics for ages of you by saying that they were going to be for burning down. Oh like, yeah. Like the lyrics. And then they used them for two different songs that are barely different. And um, we'll talk about that when we get to dead letter office, yeah. uh, which actually we probably won't do an episode in dead letter office since all these songs show up on different things. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, Cause those, you know, those, I think we'll catch those in our kind of apocrypha sections, but yeah, regardless, which we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, even outside the context of thinking of it as an album or anything, mm-hmm. um, I just think the song is really catchy. Yeah. So if, if I'm not thinking of it strategically, like what belongs on the record or into yeah. the record as a strategic whole, I just like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I would have been okay with it, with it being in there. Yeah. Um, or, or on murmur, 
Yeah. Um, it, it, know, it, I like, would fit I, in with Murmur a lot, actually. Like we're going to talk about Murmur and I love Murmur, obviously, like it's, you know, landmark kind of thing. But there are there are a couple of songs on Murmur again that I think are like, you know, bees. Yeah. You know, not not perfect. And I would have rather had ages of you slotted in. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And that's uh, that's them. You know, they put out Chronic Town. Yeah. Um, it uh, was hard. to You couldn't get on CD for a long time. Yeah. Um, the way I actually heard it was it was released with Murmur. Uh, oh, wow. as, as five songs on an all on one discs. Mm. So for a long time, you know, I wasn't, you know, I read, I wasn't an idiot. I knew it wasn't, but <laughs> the experience of listening to murmur for me ended with stumble. Okay. Uh, and murmur was like a, you know, you know, 17 song album rather than <laughs> what, what it is. Yeah. And like the, these songs play nice with murmur. Um, pretty well. I think, you know, Mur- Murmur has a little bit of a different production. We're going to talk about that at, at length. Yeah. This is, this is a more straight presentation of a four, of, of a four piece band. I think it's, it, it really benefits, uh, for, for yeah. that, like as an, as an early document, um, I don't know if you could do much better than chronic town for, for, for this band. And it's just awesome that like they came into the studio with this almost fully formed, you know, obviously mm-hmm. Mike Aaron, Mitch Easter added an awful lot to it, but like, you know, we're going to come through, we're going to aim to put out the best five songs that we can. Um, and starting with this EP, I think is just a, is, is a tremendous, a tremendous introduction, you know, for people mm-hmm. who, for people who were not kind of fortunate enough to be you know, in the scene and, and watching this stuff kind of coalesce. It's an easier, it's an easier ask than uh murmur as well for yeah. people who are turned off by, you know, the adult contempo side of REM, you know, just think, Oh, who are those old guys who wrote shiny <laughs> happy people? Um, You know, I feel like you can slide them chronic, tra- chronic town where mm-hmm. it's kind of weird and twitchy and vital sounding in a way that murmur doesn't. Yeah. You know, and again, I love Murmur, but it's a much warmer, slower kind of production. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the the kind of common threads uh, in the books that I'm reading is when REM even remotely kind of rocks out mm-hmm. um, at all. Like the the people are writing kind of like trip over themselves to almost apologize, you know, for the band. <laughs> yeah. You know, this idea that like it's like, oh, for people who thought REM couldn't rock, here's nine. Here's West of the Fields. <laughs> yeah. It's like almost like a heavy metal song. And I'm like, come on, <laughs> you know, like it's it, if we're judging on that curve, like it is slightly harder than, you know, <laughs> but if you have to be slightly harder than than gardening at night, you know, it, it's not a. You know, let's 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 at least be clear about terms here. Like yeah. this is not, uh, you know, ACDC. <laughs> right. Um, so but for people who are turned off by that kind of that soft, that guarding of a night side, I think that this EP has a lot to recommend it because yeah. it is, you know, twitchy and weird in a, in a really new wave kind of way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Way down, way down for it. Yeah. No, love it. Um, yeah. So um, that's that's the second episode mm-hmm. of the show. Um that, uh, you know, the concert footage that's from this uh, is recommended to check out. We didn't talk about the performance other than the abstract, but it'll be in the recommended listening. Yeah. And uh, is, is worth checking out. And yeah. uh, next uh, next episode, we're talking about the first full length album. Uh, Rolling Stone called it the album of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the year it is uh, ridiculously, hugely important to yes. the history of the band and the history of kind of alternative music. Yeah. Yep. And we're probably like, we're going to revisit that performance because that is a, you know, a lot of those songs uh, from Raleigh are from, are from Murmur. And, and you know, there, yeah. there, there are other performances to throw in as well. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll, we'll definitely talk about a live component. Uh, so like every episode we'll have kind of what the band sounded like live mm-hmm. at this time. Uh, you know, we'll talk about it at least briefly and it will be for you there for you to listen to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, this show, uh, thank you very much for listening to it. Thank you patrons for uh, patronizing it and allowing it to come into existence. This mm-hmm. was a milestone goal. Yeah. Um, if you go to patreon.com forward slash duckfeedtv, you can uh, check out our other milestone goals. You can see uh, what we have on offer if you do decide to support us. And uh, we really do appreciate it. Yeah. Um, early on in a show like this, it is especially important to rate us and review us on iTunes. Um, you know, so if you, I, I know going in there and doing that kind of sucks, like iTunes is not a great thing to use, but that does make a big difference for getting us uh, some exposure uh, for people. So uh, if you if you take the time, we're incredibly grateful. And if you don't do iTunes, um, there are, you know, you probably have a Twitter account. Mm-hmm. You probably have, uh, you know, you, you start a blog, you have a Tumblr, things like that. Sharing it however you would like to is uh, is really fantastic. This is us branching out and do something we're not used to. Mm-hmm. Um, video games, I think, you know, I think the reason why DuckFeed was successful is because the first shows are about video games. Yep. Um, you know, video games have a, have a built-in audience of kind of tech-savvy podcast listeners. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's its its own kind of thing that has like a meta side commentary industry already. Yeah. Um, not that music doesn't, but we're not, <laughs> you know, yeah. like I mean, 
wait, maybe music doesn't now. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I guess it has to, but I'm just trying to think. There's like pitchfork. Yeah. But then like Rolling Stone is all really wonderful, hard hitting political news. Yeah. <laughs> um, almost exclusively. Yep. And uh, and that that's you know it's it feels like it's less of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there are music podcasts out there. Yeah. That don't yeah. At me, but like the. Uh, it's new for us at the very least. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's new. And, you know, I said it last time, but I'll, I'll say it again here. Uh, it's an incredible privilege to even uh, be able to take the chance and do something as strange as this. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, so we will see you next time. Talk about Murmur. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's the end of the podcast as, as we know it. Yep. And we feel fine until until two weeks from now. Until we uh, stop feeling weird about that sign off. Yep. We'll <laughs> give up on it entirely. Yep. <laughs> yeah.